You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Who is Jesus? Many people in the world today, I would venture to say most people in the world today, have some opinion, their own opinion about Jesus. And if you listen carefully to people's opinions about Jesus, I think you would agree with me that most people have fairly positive opinions of Jesus Christ. You'll hear people saying things like, Jesus was a good man. He surely was. (laughs) He surely was a good man. But was he more than a good man? Other people might say something like, Jesus was one of history's most influential teachers. Yes, he was. A master teacher. And yet, was he more than that? Other people might say, Jesus was a prophet. Certainly. Even the Muslims around the world would confess that Jesus was a prophet. But, Was he more than a prophet? Others, especially in our culture, would say Jesus was a great social reformer. Hard to argue against that. Our world has never been the same since Jesus was here. But was he more than a social reformer? Others might recall his miracles and say Jesus was an amazing miracle worker. That he was. But was he more than a miracle worker? People have always had opinions about who is Jesus. But what I want you to think about today is this. Wouldn't it be better to ask, what did Jesus say about himself? Who did Jesus say he was? Now, whenever we listen to Jesus' statements of his identity, who he was, we find it shocking many times. People find some of the things Jesus said about himself to be offensive, I would even say audacious. And when people hear Jesus' self-claims, when they hear what Jesus said about himself, there is always a polarizing effect. That's true today. That's always been true. Though some people hear Jesus' self-proclamations and bend the knee and call him Lord. Yet others hear the same self-proclamations and call him a liar or a lunatic. Join me please in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. John 8, 31 through 59. Today, in this passage, we'll be looking at what many consider to be one of the boldest, maybe the boldest, self-declaration of Jesus. In fact, his self-declaration that we'll hear in this passage is so bold that most of the people who heard it were livid. Many of them, many of them respected religious people. People People who had been so positive toward Jesus previously, beforehand, now tried to kill him. 
As we've seen recently in our studies in the Gospel of John, particularly chapters 7 and 8, it's autumn. The autumn of Jesus' last full year of ministry. Six months from now, he'll be hanging on the cross. Jesus has been in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And he's been doing a lot of public teaching there in the temple courtyard. And as he teaches, he has made a number of bold declarations about himself. And when people heard him make those self-declarations, they begin to question him. And they begin to challenge him, not only what he was saying about himself, but what he was saying about them. So I invite you to join me once again in the tabernacle, or excuse me, the temple in Jerusalem during the Feast of the Tabernacles, and let's listen. I'm going to read a fairly long passage, so if you have trouble tracking, open your Bible, turn, tap, whatever you do, and follow along. If you're a good auditory learner, you can look at me and listen as I read this long passage, John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. The Word of God says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, We will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. <clears throat> so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan? You have a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old in You have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Wow. Did you catch some of the things Jesus said about himself in this passage? I just picked some. In this one conversation there in the temple courtyard, Jesus said, verse 36, that he's the Savior from his hearer's bondage to sin. Verse 38, he has been in the presence of God the Father. Verse 42, he had actually come from God, being sent by God. Verse 46, Jesus claimed to be without sin. Verse 55, Jesus knew God the Father personally. Verse 56, Jesus declared that the prophet, excuse me, the patriarch Abraham actually looked forward to Jesus as the coming Messiah. But my friends, here's the real clincher. Here's the real clincher. Verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Why is that so bold? Why is that so audacious for Jesus to say before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He's not saying, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm 2,000 years old. That, that wasn't what he was saying. He was saying before Abraham was, I am. It takes our minds back to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses, 80 years old, is out in the Sinai wilderness as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And he sees a burning bush. And as he goes to that burning bush, God speaks to him from that bush. And says, Moses, I'm going to redeem my people out of their bondage to slavery in Egypt. And I want you to go and lead them. And among other things, Moses asked, well, who should I say sent me? The people are going to wonder, the authority behind me, they're going to wonder, who sent me? Who should I say sent me? And out of the burning bush, God spoke and said, tell them, I am has sent you. It's from that Hebrew word, I am, that you sometimes hear people give God the name Yahweh, or the anglicized version of it, Jehovah. I am. God was making a statement that he is above time. He is above creation. 
And therefore, he is immutable, unchanging, unchangeable in his character. That he is the eternal, immutable God. And now here in that temple courtyard toward the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles, this 32-year-old carpenter-turned-preacher stands in front of religious leaders and says, Before Abraham was, I am. He's claiming to be God. There's no perceived ambiguity here. It's audacious. Unless it's true. What was Jesus telling us about himself there in the temple that day when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was declaring himself to be the pre-existent one. Jesus did not begin in that Bethlehem stable. He did not begin in the womb of Mary. Jesus has existed in all eternity past as God the Son. And by claiming to be the I Am, he is declaring himself to be God. Now you've heard me say from this pulpit before that you're an into people in this world. Maybe you already have who say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh yes, he did. And he wasn't even subtle about it. He made bold declarations like this, and the people familiar with the Bible, the religious leaders, knew exactly what he meant, and they wanted to kill him, and they did. Jesus is making a bold, audacious declaration of himself that he is the great I Am. So how did the people in the temple complex there at the Feast of the Tabernacles respond to Jesus' bold self-declaration? How did they respond to that? Now I'm going to use some hard words here, but I think I'm depicting them accurately. The people said, Jesus, you're a liar. You're a liar. We're not in bondage. Look at verse 33 again. They answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. <laughs> How is it that you say we can become free? They've never, they've never been enslaved to anyone? <laughs> any, any of the rest of you find that somewhat amusing? Well, it would be amusing if I weren't so sad. You, you want to you say, what, what about Egypt? What about Assyria? What about Babylon? In between the Testaments, what about Greece? What about Syria? Whose coins do you have in your pocket? Don't they have the image of Caesar on them? You are right now under the bondage of Rome. And yet you say, we're not enslaved to anyone, never have been. But you know there's a bondage that Jesus is referring to there that is deeper than the bondage to Rome. These people in the temple courtyard thought of themselves as good people. They were religious people. They were better than most people. And they say, how dare you, Jesus? How dare you imply that we need to be set free? We're not in bondage. And they can't even see they can't even see the chains that bind them to their sin. And you know, we, we read this account in John 8 and we might shake our heads or burrow our brows and say, what's wrong with those people? But quite frankly, my friends, how different are these people than many people in our own day? 
How different are they than us, even currently or in our B.C. pasts? When we tend to think of ourselves as good people, people on our way to heaven, I'm not enslaved to sin. Oh, I might make some mistakes once in a while. I might have made some bad choices in life, but those things don't control me. I control them. I'm in charge. Yeah, I admit I've had a few slip-ups in life, but I'm I'm a lot better than, than a lot of people I know. And the great majority of people in our culture assume that they're good enough to make it to heaven. I just read a survey not long ago about hell. I was fascinated to read that only 4% of Americans, only 4% of Americans think that there's even the possibility that they might end up in hell. I'm a good person. How dare you? How dare you imply that I am a slave to sin? And yet many of us in this room have already been gripped by grace, God's intervening sovereign grace. And and we know, we know that there is something wrong with us. There's something wrong inside of us. That we are all sinners at heart. And therefore, we all sin. And this brokenness inside of us, this enslavement to sin inside of us, cannot be countered by more education or or more money or more training or, or more determination. The Bible is clear. No one is righteous. No, not one. Oh, I'll take Jesus as a social reformer. I'll take Jesus as a good man. I'll take Jesus as a miracle worker. But as a Savior, what do I need saved from? I'm a good person. I'm a member of a good church. You kids that are here today will remember this. When... I can still remember when I was a kid. I don't remember who said it, but I remember as a kid someone saying, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. That stuck with me as a kid. (laughs) Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. There's a lot of people that are outwardly respectable. We would call them good, moral, upstanding citizens, maybe even good church members. And yet they don't hear the clanging of the chains of sin binding them. The sin of self-righteousness. The chains of pride. There's only one who can break those chains of sin and sinfulness. And that's Jesus himself right here in John 8.36. He says, if the Son sets you free, don't take this verse out of context. It's about bondage to sin. If the sin, if, excuse me, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Apart from God's sovereign, intervening grace through Jesus Christ, you and I, everyone in this world, is both unable and unwilling to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. But like many people today, these good upstanding citizens in that temple courtyard told Jesus that day, you got us wrong, Jesus. You're lying. You're a liar. And I won't take long on this, and it does sound rude, But they called Jesus a lunatic. Did you pick that up? 
That's what they were calling him. They said, you're crazy. You're crazy, Jesus. Look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Where in the world did they get that? Verse 52, the Jews said, now we know that you have a demon. What are they saying? We would say in our vernacular, in our culture, Jesus, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're possessed. And they tried to kill him. That's what 859 says. They took up stones. They were going to stone him to death as blasphemy. Now, friends, if you've been following this passage, if your cranial juices are still flowing, you might be pushing back right now and say, no, Pastor Larry, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought these people were believers. Isn't, isn't that what we read at the beginning of this passage, that these were believers? Go, go ahead, check me out on this. Look at verse 30. Let's back up to last Sunday's last verse. Jesus was preaching in the, in the temple about being the light of the world. And it says in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many, many believed in him. And then we begin today's passage, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. These people believed. And for those of you listening by audio recording, I'm making quote marks. <laughs> These people believed. They made a profession of faith, we would say. But were they truly changed? Were they truly converted? Now, now stick with me here. This is crucially important to understanding this passage, to understanding your security and mine eternally. What does Jesus say about a true mark of genuine conversion? What is a true mark of someone who has truly been saved? 31 and 32, I'll read it again. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And when Jesus said truly my disciples, he's clearly implying that some people are not true disciples. True just means real, real, really. He says there are some people who really are my disciples and other people who say they are, but they're not. No, we're uncomfortable with this. This makes us uncomfortable. It would be easier for us to assume that everyone who says I'm a Christian, anyone who's ever prayed the sinner's prayer, anyone who's ever raised hand, God forward, signed a card, whatever, is in. You're good to go. You're good with God. You prayed the prayer. You went forward at the Billy Graham crusade, whatever it was. You're good to go. And yet Jesus is saying to people who profess faith, profess to be Christian, do you want to be my true disciple? Do you, do you want to know what a real disciple is? It's reading something John Piper preached. He said, there are real and unreal disciples. There are authentic disciples and inauthentic disciples. Why did Jesus bring up this distinction? It's disturbing. It makes us squirm and asks ourselves the questions, which one are we? The distinguishing mark of true conversion, Jesus says in verse 31, if you abide in my word. The word is the totality of what Jesus taught, particularly what he taught about himself and our need for him as our Savior. 
And I even think back to our recent studies here in the Gospel of John. When Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Most people heard him say that, chose to rather starve than come. And yet some did eat of the bread of life. When Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Most of the people that day still tried to slake their thirst in the polluted puddles of this world. And yet some did come and drink of the living water. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Some chose darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But some did come and follow Jesus, the light of the world. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word. Abide, it's not some sort of mystical word. I've heard people teach on abiding in Christ as if it's almost kind of ethereal, spooky, it's mystical somehow, like there's us average Christians and then there are the people that abide. This is, not, this is not a mystical word. It just means remain. That's what it means. It means stick with. It's simple. Stick with Christ. Remain with Christ. That's the point. Lots of people profess faith in Christ for a season. Their friends are doing it, why don't I? I'm going through a hard time. Maybe it'll get me out of a hard time. Then I can go back to my old way of life. I'm depressed. Maybe it'll get me out of depression. Then I can go back to the idols of my heart. And there are many people, many people who give Jesus a try. Why don't I give him a try? Why why, why don't I give him a try for a while? It seems like a good time to give him a try. And then when the hard times come, when following Christ gets difficult, they go back to their old idols. The idols of their heart, they go back to their old way of life. They go back to their old puddles, their own darkness. And what Jesus is saying here is, those aren't really my disciples. And we would be doing people a disservice to pat them on the back and tell them they have their ticket to heaven because they prayed the sinner's prayer. Because they went forward or signed a card or something. Jesus is saying, if you're truly my disciples, you'll stick with my word. You'll stick with me. You will follow me as a pattern of life. Later, John would write three letters, short letters. And in the first one, 1 John chapter 2, John will later write this. And I, I quote, he said, by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, you know where John heard it, right? (laughs) Whoever keeps his word, and then truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Oh, we all deviate from the path now and then, hopefully for a matter of hours or days, but if we're truly belonging to Christ, we'll come back to the path that leads to life. We'll follow on the heels of Jesus. We'll stick with Him. We'll abide in His Word. We'll say, Your Word, Your Word, what You say, Jesus, shapes my life, fuels my life, guides my life. I want to live all of my life following you, Jesus. Come what may.
If you want to be my disciples truly, you will abide in my word. So what did Jesus think of the people in the temple courtyard that day? They professed faith in Christ. What did Jesus say to them? These people defended themselves, didn't they? Did you catch that? It comes up several times in this passage. They said, we're of Abraham's offspring. We're, we're, we're good Jews. We're, we're Abraham's descendants. We're good with God because of our great granddaddy, Abraham. But Jesus says, you can't rely on your parentage to get you to heaven. You can't rely on your parentage for God to accept you. In fact, Jesus said, you might be physical descendants of Abraham, but you're sure not his spiritual descendants. Jesus is pretty bold about that, isn't he? He's saying, you might be physical descendants of, of Abraham, but you're not his spiritual descendants. How could Jesus say that? Because if you were truly Abraham's spiritual descendants, you would do what Abraham did. You would value what Abraham valued. Look at verses 39 and 40. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Abraham was known as a man of faith. You follow the life of Abraham, he certainly was not sinless. But it was a pattern of life. He believed God. And when I say believe God, I want you to feel the weight of that. It was a belief in God that led him to obey God, even when obedience was extremely costly. He left his homeland not knowing where he would land. He was asked to sacrifice his son of promise, and he was willing to do that until God stopped his upraised arm and provided a substitute lamb. Abraham believed God, and it showed in how he lived. That he remained, he remained in the word of God. Not only is Christ calling these people to do what Abraham did, but to value what Abraham valued. And I find delight in even reading this. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. I don't know what all was on Jesus' mind when he said that. He might have been thinking of a particular incident, but he might have been thinking of Abraham's whole walk of faith. That as Abraham walked in faith, he was looking forward. And I wonder even as God provided that ram caught in the thicket, if Abraham wasn't already thinking ahead to the promised Lamb of God. He said, Abraham rejoiced. You hear something of Abraham's affections, his affections. He rejoiced knowing that God would send his anointed king, his Mashiach, his Christ. And he said, and oh, that made him glad. And Jesus says, if you are the spiritual descendants of Abraham, and that includes us Gentiles, if, if you are children of faith, then you rejoice in Christ. You're glad in Christ. Jesus said in verse 42, did you catch it? In verse 42, he said, if God were your father, you would love me. You would love me. A mark of conversion. 
the people that heard Jesus make these statements about himself and about them would not believe Jesus. They would not. They were unwilling. Verse 44 uses the word of willingness. He said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. These people would not come to Jesus because they were unwilling, and they could not come to Jesus because they were unable. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Cannot bear could be translated just as simply, are not able. You do not have the ability, you do not have the power to hear my word. These people were both unwilling and unable to come to Jesus to hear him. The sad truth is that they were of their father, the devil. And my friends, we read this in John 8, and I want to remind you that this is not a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. All humans, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your religious background or your non-religious background is, apart from Jesus Christ, we are all of the devil. John would later write in 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Or Paul would write to the Ephesians in chapter 2. And this is all of us. Listen to what Paul wrote. Listen carefully. He said, and you were dead. You, all of you, all of us. were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's talking about the devil. And then he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we don't read John 8 and think about those people. We read John 8 and we think us people. And so I ask you this morning, what is your response to the gracious words of Jesus? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the, tr the truth will set you free. There are people in this world, you've met some, I've met some, who are openly, decidedly rejecting Jesus Christ. Openly, decidingly. And it is tragic to see people deliberately, eyes wide open, rejecting Jesus Christ. And I think of what Jesus said earlier on in the same chapter when he said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Some people openly, decidedly reject Jesus Christ. But others claim, others claim to be Christ's followers. Others claim to believe in Jesus Christ. But if you allow me to describe this scenario, these people pick and choose. They, they look at Jesus Christ. They listen to what Jesus Christ said. And they say, well, I like that. And, and I like this. I, I, I don't care for that. And so they take Jesus, his character, his, his demands, his words, and, and they pick and choose. And, and, and it's very popular in our day because we live in a day of individuality. We live a day, in a day of entitlement, and people think they're entitled to have a, um, a, a custom-designed Jesus. I want a Jesus designed for, for me and my desires and my lifestyle. So I'll take that and that, but not that and that. And they assume somehow that Jesus is plastic. 
that, that Jesus is malleable, that they can just take Jesus and design him to be the kind of Jesus they want. And yet, Jesus, my friends, Jesus is not plastic. He stood in that temple that day and said, before Abraham was, I am. And he was making a bold, clear statement that he is who he is. And he is not plastic. My friends, we don't pick and choose what we want from Jesus. Listen, my friends. We either have all of him or we will have none of him. Those who follow Jesus according to their own preferences on Judgment Day. I don't know if I can get through this. People who think Jesus is plastic and they can design him to fit their own preferences, their own lifestyles. We're going to hear on Judgment Day some of the most terrible words, terrifying words, any human ears will ever hear. And I quote our Savior himself. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, not, not, listen, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, listen, listen, Jesus says on that day, many, many, that one word sticks in my heart. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, there are going to be a few people. There's going to be a person here and there. Jesus said on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never know you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If you want to be my true disciples, you will abide in my word. Jesus is not plastic. He is the great I am. The eternal, unchanging, almighty God come in the flesh. He and He alone is qualified to free us from our bondage to sin. At His cross, He and He alone took upon Himself the condemnation that you and I earned. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. For those of us who have been freed from our sin, we hear these words, the great I am, and we find such hope and reassurance there. My friend, everything and everyone else in this world comes and goes. Everyone and everything else is passing away, is temporary. And when we face that in life, that everything and everyone is temporary, comes and goes, we listen to our Lord Jesus saying, I am the great I am. And in Him we find hope, that even when our world crumbles around us, even when people we love dearly die, He is still there. He is the great I Am. And we can find our assurance in Him that you and I never need to wake up some morning and wonder, is Jesus gone? No, He is the great I Am. We never need to fear getting to Judgment Day, finding that He somehow changed His mind. 
He is the unchanging, immutable I am. You and I find such hope, such reassurance, such joy, such gladness in hearing Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am.